All right, here we are. Love it. In the studio of Ty Nathan Clark in Waco, America. And um, I'm so stoked to have this. Thank you for your time and generosity. Absolutely. It's a good day with the storm brewing outside. Still, we may have some yeah, thunder. It's, it's good. Um, so you are probably my third true artist interview. Uh-huh. Art in terms of stuff that goes on paper. Yeah. Paint, ink, uh-huh. and whatever. We're all artists in a way. Um, where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world? I know you've had a, an interesting story here, but I, I feel like I haven't heard the backstory. And as we introduce you to our listeners, I just want to kind of give them a feel of how you got here. Well, so far it's been a 43-year journey. So <laughs> started 43 um, yeah, years started ago. Started 43 years ago, lifespan. <laughs> um, but I would say, as a, you know, as an aspiring professional artist, uh, or maybe an aspiring artist that supports life and family by selling artwork, that that's pretty fresh and new. Although mm-hmm. uh, art has been a part of my story since. Gosh, I'd say my first few years mm. on, on the earth, it's been a part of my story and went to school, studied art, mm. painted here and there forever while doing other things. But really, it's been the last, I guess, three and a half to four years that it's been a a 100 percent um, leap. I'm in. Literally, I guess leap is the perfect word, like leaving the comfort of the tree and walking <laughs> out on the most fragile branch. Here I am. And trying to balance and... Uh, and make things happen. Well, so before then, I know there's been uh, there's been mission work. Mm-hmm. There's been basketball. You're a hooper. Yep. Uh, Ty, for those of y'all, you're not in here. Ty is not a point guard. Power forward, center. What were you? Yeah, I, w- I would say I was. I was very. Uh, I would say I was a Dennis Rodman type. A Dennis, player. yes. So, athletic, but loved defense, loved rebounding, um, could score, but. Uh, did the dirty work most well, of the time. So what came first? Before uh, were you grow up high school basketball, college basketball? Yeah, it was. I mean, for me, I grew up in two families. My my mom's side and my dad's side both love sports. Okay. Um, but my mom's side was very culturally astute in the hmm. arts. Um, her oldest brother was a world renowned sculptor and raku artist. Raku. Um, Raku is an ancient form of pottery where the kiln is in the ground. And so when you fire your pots or your sculptures, you never know how the patina is Mm. going to be with the end result. Mm. So it's kind of that you put it in, you let it cook. When you pull it out, whatever it becomes, it becomes. So um, he showed all over the world at some of the largest museums, some of the largest galleries, was the dean of... The arts program at UCSB in Santa Barbara for a number mm-hmm. of years, and he passed when I was, I was probably nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So he, was, I think he was twenty-five years older than my mom. Okay. Oh wow. Um, and so, because of him, my grandparents were very—they loved the arts, poetry, um, painting, sculptures, classical music—and yeah. so I grew up with that side of the family, watching Lakers games and Dodgers <laughs> games and football, but a lot of it too is my grandfather reading me poetry, Keats and right Shelley on. and yes. Frost and and holding the, the huge, you know, American Gallery of Art books and yeah. Smithsonian and reading and teaching me about these artists and painters and 
They had prints of Van Gogh and Gauguin and Degas and things in their house. And um, so I always like had a passion for it, Mm. but I could also draw Mm. like crazy. So I came out of the womb drawing and and creating. Um, And then on my dad's side, there were athletes and love sports and surfing and kind of the California lifestyle. Um, And so I always grew up drawing and creating always. And but I loved soccer, I loved baseball, I loved football, I loved basketball, so I played all those and got a scholarship to play basketball and then attempted to play professionally in Europe after and right on. had a rough, rough go with injuries and signed a contract in Mexico at one time and got burned through the contract and <laughs> finally I just was like, it's time to move on huh. um, with art as a goal, but nowhere in sight. <laughs> Interesting. So um, you, you're hooping. High school, basketball, mm-hmm. uh, college, then uh, you make this professional run, then what happens? You you kind of pull back a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I ended up meeting a girl and falling in love. Um, and at that time, I was still <laughs> working out numerous hours a day. I was working as a youth pastor in, in San Diego at the time, um, but I was still at the gym and still hmm. sending out highlight reels and talking to coaches and scouts and... I was playing for uh, I was playing for an agent in Long Beach and still trying to make things work and I just got to a point when after I fell in love it's like it's just not worth it hmm. um, and I was I was playing in leagues in the Dallas area when I moved to Texas because I fell in love with the Texan and they don't like to leave um, <laughs> they love Texas and so I was playing in a league with Tony Romo and Patrick Creighton and guys wow. on the Cowboys and and I was, still had this dream of playing but I just felt like it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know, I could make a teacher's salary maybe playing overseas still. Right. Um, but it's just time, it was time to move on. Hmm. As much as I loved it, I kept getting hurt, hmm. kept breaking things and getting injured. And just, it was time to move on. Hmm. And so what was, what was that next step? Gosh, that next step was misery, I would say, for a <laughs> while. I mean, I, I didn't finish school. Okay. Um, I had a horrible ending at school um, where... I have numerous credits, but I didn't want to study a particular major. So mm-hmm. I, was a, I was a drawing and painting major, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to take all of the math courses in science because right. I didn't care about those things. Right. So I studied philosophy and theology right. um, and literature. And so I gathered up, got, I think it was 400 some units mm. over time, and, but most of them didn't go towards my major. <laughs> and so I just, I, what's the first thing you can do when there's nothing to do? You go into retail. Yeah. <laughs> and so I worked retail for a while and, and that was just a paycheck. Yeah. And then I got a job working for Quicksilver, hmm. which for me was home, California. Right. Um, worked my way up in retail with Quicksilver and, um, and then China came calling. China. So what year is this? Gosh, this would be 2000. I guess 2004, so I'd worked retail for three or four years, still just painting and drawing and doing art things in our small apartment and what I could, but just didn't know what to do. I was I was newly married, lo- kind of lost in the world with what in the world am I going to do, and all this time I'm teaching myself graphic design and hmm. trying to learn how to do things that maybe at Quicksilver I could get a job as a graphic designer someday, or because all I, all I really cared about was painting and sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, which isn't the healthiest uh, choices <laughs> in this world. Both very small percentages of people are successful right. in those things. Um, and so I started taking trips with our church in Dallas to China, and okay. I had done 
my dad does mission work overseas with sports missions. So I'd been to Rwanda and Uganda and Kenya and multiple places with him and had a, a really large worldview grow through mm. those, some horrific experiences in mm. Rwanda post-genocide um, and other things. And so started traveling to China wow. and God said, move. Wow. And I told my wife and she was not happy. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I take it after a series of conversations um, it, you guys headed that way. Yeah, we. Uh, I called her from China. I think it was my third or fourth trip with a team. And I said, hey, we're supposed to move here. Uh, I just know it. And then the phone cut out. Oh, wow. And I didn't get a response <laughs> from her. And I couldn't get back, I couldn't get back a hold of her yeah. um, from where we were in China. And so she wanted to kill me, hmm. let's just say. So she met with friends and things. And she just started reading and studying herself. And one day she was sitting there and said... Uh, God just basically told her, yeah, you're supposed to move. Wow. And so we, uh, we set a date. We gave away everything that we owned to my employees at Quicksilver, all kids. Wow. They literally came over and loaded up trucks and cars. We gave away every single thing we owned other than artwork and photos, mm-hmm. basically. Wow. Um, and then we couldn't leave for another year. Wow. And so we were stuck. <laughs> so <laughs> Left so our you, jobs. Oh I was offered gosh. a major promotion at Quicksilver. Um, the day I was telling them that we're moving to China, they were offering me a major promotion at Quicksilver. Wow. So did you take um, it? No, I told them we were moving to China. Wow. But and you still had a year gap. We didn't know that yet. We learned that a few weeks after. Wow. And wow. so we were kind of left with what are we going to do? So what did you do in that scrapped. year? Scrapped. Scrapped. <laughs> we both scrapped for the next, for the next year, and then uh, we left for China, and we were there for a year. Wow. So what... Um, what was your what was the draw to China? What what where was your area of focus and and what was your draw? It, well, it really changed when we got there because we opened a coffee shop with our church, and so our aim was basically to do business classes, do um, English tutoring and things with young Chinese students, hmm. um, and partner them with young leaders in the underground church in China. And once I got there, I started hanging out. Um, with a couple kids who were musicians and skaters, like kids that I would have gravitated to in the U.S., um, who kind of had this new uh, mindset, which really at the time, you, Chinese youth were kind of coming up in this, we, we kind of feel like we should think for ourselves, what mm. is that? Mm. Because I don't know where this is coming from. Like they had hopes and dreams for a future different than what they were told to have. Interesting. And I, these kids just started gravitating around me uh, tattoo shop owners and um, and that's where I ended up spending my time with kids who are artists and creatives and music wow. and we offered them a place to play music and to do things at the coffee shop and wow. so that's really what that's really what we spent most of our time doing now when you say underground church hold my hand on <clears throat> comparing that to here you know we, we, we hear underground church yeah. what um, <laughs> Yeah. just the, the contrast between our world and theirs and there you are doing ministry yet I'll see if I can find an example yeah. in my head of what that would look like here um, so let's just say the government decided that nobody could worship any type of religious freedom in in the US mm-hmm. if one day uh, our government said um there, we don't believe there is any religion. Religion is self and country and, and government. If you do worship, you need to register with us 
and we will have a checks and balances with you on a regular basis. You give wow. us all the names of your people, you give us where they live their addresses, we will look at what you are teaching and we will okay if that's okay to be taught. Wow. Well, if that happened, there are people that are going to disagree with that right. and do it their own way. Yeah. And the way that works in China is you go out in the middle of Montana, let's say, and mm -hmm. there's a church mm -hmm. 50 miles outside of the city where people go to gather and worship mm -hmm. freely. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were working with people in those renegade communities who were teaching and spreading um, the gospel of Jesus Christ in their communities. Um, Did this affect your safety in China? Oh yeah, I had a I had a PSB is the Public Security Bureau in China is their FBI basically their CIA in a way. Okay. I had a guy that followed me everywhere I went. Um, we had our phones tapped. We had people showing up at our doorstep, knocking on the door. I mean, literally, there were times where we were confronted. Well, I was confronted. Mandy wasn't as often, but confronted by three PSB officials just trying to get me in a fight with them wow. just for the reason to take me. But nothing would have happened to us. It would have been all of our friends and, yeah. and contacts that yeah. would have had problems. But wow. So there's a little bit of that exciting espionage, you know, that as Americans <laughs> we all dream of. But um, at the end of the day, it was really, I was just there to love on hmm. those kids and teach them that if you want to be a musician, you can. Yeah. It's going to be a lot more difficult for you here in China. But if that dream is in your heart, go for it well wow. which is hard because a lot of their parents would disown them yeah. or you know but man if, if you've got a dream and a passion and it's there for a reason and a purpose hmm. um you've got to try and make it work so how many years were you there we were there for a little over a year okay um we thought we'd be there for life and we had some we had a rough situation and had to come home gotcha gotcha and so how many years ago was that eight eight years mm -hmm. okay and then Fast forwarding to kind of here, I know you're recently moved mm -hmm. to Waco. Mm -hmm. um, has it been how long? Is it, how long have you guys been? Been here? in Waco for seven months. Okay, I think. And you were in Austin before that. We were in Austin before that for a few years. Uh, absolutely love Austin, but just couldn't afford to do the things we wanted to do there anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. we didn't want to leave right at all. We, I love Austin. Might be my favorite city in the world huh. still today. Um, wonderful place, wonderful friends. We have family there that um, we're extremely close to. Mm -hmm. um, our kids, which we would call our kids because we don't have kids. Our my niece and nephew are there, and mm. um, we yeah we miss them every day. Mm. And so it was a tough move, mm -hmm. but there was something pushing us here. Yeah. We don't really know what that is yet. Yeah. But my folks moved out from California, and they live a mile from us. Right I was able to build a studio um, on property here. Yeah, it's amazing. Which is insane that we're yeah. at that point and then um we've always wanted to buy a house but we never have and right. so 17 years of marriage and we finally have our right our on. house so right so it's here you get to do life you get to do your work yeah um let's i, I want to probably focus most on you and your art yep. and your craft mm -hmm. and your medium mm -hmm. um I don't really know the language for it. I don't like to give things language because mm -hmm. that tends to define it when it shouldn't really be defined. Um, but if, if you were just explaining your work mm -hmm. or maybe where do you begin when you go, this is who inspired me. Mm -hmm. This is why I pick up the paint, the brush. This is why I do what I do. Where do you begin with, with this side of it? Well, I mean, I think I've always painted. I've always created. I've always sculpted. I've always done multiple things. And there are... 
as an artist, there are, there are other artists that are similar to you. There are other artists that you are similar to as well. Hmm. And finding those artists mm -hmm. that either you have that relationship with, mm -hmm. um, I would call them either dead peers or faraway peers. <laughs> right. um, you know, researching, studying, and finding those guys that have similarities to you, um, I think is very important yeah. for artists. And, and I've gravitated towards a number of guys. And as my work has changed, I've continued to gravitate towards others. And um, yes. Cy Twombly um, is one of my biggest influences. Um, and I've always had these certain techniques that were similar to his. And as I started to study him more and more, um, I started to look at the way he does work and how he uses materials, technique, mm -hmm. um, medium, and try to not be identical, mm -hmm. but try to do things he's doing because my work fits in that, mm -hmm. that genre of work. Um, Antony Tapas, a Spanish painter, is another guy. They're, they have a lot of similarities to each other, but also very big differences. Mm. Um, Anselm Kiefer is a German artist who's another guy um, who I feel like I just gravitate to his thought patterns and right. things. Um, Mark Rothko's always been a guy. Uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, who are we texting about? That guy sent you the video to, and you go, oh yeah, he's a mentor of mine. Uh, yeah. Fuji? Mako Fujimura. Yeah, Mako. Um, yeah, and so I, I got to meet Mako, and I've known his work for a while. Um, I met him... Gosh, last year at a dinner, we sat next to each other in Austin after he spoke and um, just really hit it off. And, and he's friends with a lot of peers of mine from art school. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I reached out to him, I guess a month later, just asking for mentors uh, at Baylor, since he okay. has friends in the art department at Baylor. And I asked him if there's anybody that he could connect me with or, or anybody in the art world, male or female. Um, that I could really look to as a mentor that's older than me, gray yeah. hair, wise. Yeah. Um, and his email back uh, said, you know, I'm your guy. Let's, wow. let's, let's <laughs> develop this over time as he's settling into his new role at the Brem Institute yeah. at Fuller. Let's, you know, work on this over time. And wow. so um, I, it's been fun watching him um, and just listening um, just to the conversations he's really mm -hmm. included in as a, as an artist of faith yeah. in, a, in the contemporary art world, and I right. think as one of the most respected yeah. contemporary artists of yeah. our time right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in the middle of a couple of his books, and uh, he's... The faith conversation is an interesting conversation within the arts, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think he's... Uh, it's interesting to me how, how successful he's been with that at the forefront of, of his work. Um, so to have him as a mentor that's amazing yeah and he, he sent me a, a comment one of our first email chains together he, he sent me a comment and it <clears throat> I'm probably going to butcher it right now but <laughs> um, it basically said be true to your work hmm. and the art world will not like you but give it time and stay true to that work and they will eventually respect you and I think for any artist, that is kind of that jump into the art world is mm. it's a patient jump. Mm. Like there, yes, there are art darlings yeah. that make big hits. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, when you look at most successful artists who have a breadth of success for a long period of time, yeah. they're older, yeah. they're wiser, they've been patient and worked through their work and they've always been true to their work. And because of that, they've lasted and the art world respects them in the end. Mm. 
Um, and I think as somebody with a faith background, that's even more difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't say it's because of us or our work. Right. It's because the way certain people in our world with platforms right. yeah. destroy <laughs> the faith conversation and destroy yeah. what's at the heart of us as individuals yeah. Yeah. and put a, a really bad facade out mm-hmm. there of what a person of faith mm-hmm. may look like right. um, in any world. It doesn't yeah. just need to be the art world. It can yeah. be in, in any creative, yeah. creative world. So... For, for me, the definition of, of art, w- with every year, it, it evolves. Um, h- how would you define art? Man, I, I've, been, I've been doing interviews with myself, interviewing musicians and artists and people <laughs> just in conversation over the last, gosh, maybe five or six years um, with people from Terrence Malick's composer, Hannon Townsend, to... Um, small musician friends in in Austin to artist friends and I mean I that's a really really hard question to define and I don't know if it's definable but I think we can give it context Mm -hmm. and I think the word truth is at the heart of that context yes if an artist (laughs) is true to his work and there is truth in the work then I think it conveys what art should be Mm -hmm. Um, I know Mako talks about this a lot um, in his writings that in the art world, beauty is fleeting Mm. because the art world pushes artists to be political Mm -hmm. or be anti in so many areas. And so that takes beauty out of what could be created and could inspire and could create awe and wonder in an audience rather than hate and movements of... Right. bullying through right. work or yeah. you know and I think so I think for me like if an artist is true if their work speaks truth and that's a very broad context mm-hmm. in itself um, I think that's moving towards the definition of what art should be yeah yeah Leonard Bernstein I think he said I, I no longer know what the question is but I know the answer and the answer is yes something like mm-hmm. that yeah like, I, I think that that is that may give a little shape to whatever art is yeah you know uh-huh. it's every medium sure. it's not a Absolutely. medium yeah um and so with, with with like this latest project yeah you name you give them names you you give them you you've done a lot in mm-hmm. the last handful of years this latest it's called a conversation with myself it's so it's the the new series of work that I'm working on is called These Are My Shapes. These Are My Shapes. A conversation with someone. A conversation Question with someone. Mark. Okay. <laughs> and I, I put a lot of study okay. into each series. I, I only work in bodies of work. Okay. So are you, when, when you say that, is that authors, literature, philosophy, music? Where are you, where are you pulling? All, all of the above. Okay. Um, so every series is a body of work. So okay. So between six to 15 pieces. And they all have a theme behind them. And and the reason I operate that way is because I think when I'm, if I'm just doing a one-off piece, which I used to do, there was never any growth from that piece to the next. Interesting. And I think if I really wanna be true to my work and I really wanna have a voice with it, that work needs to tell a story. And so if I work on eight pieces, the first piece and the eighth piece are going to be very different hmm. because in that period of time that I'm thinking through this voice on canvas with mm. color, mm-hmm. with marks, with texture, with layers, 
that tends to grow the same way we do as people from one period of time to the next. Right. And so this new series, um, I just finished another, the series before um, was titled Fragments. And I was thinking about as we grow older, do we start fragmented and become whole? Or do we start whole and become fragmented? At the end of the day, we gather fragments from life that become who we are. Mm -hmm. So I finished that series and I'm trying to think through the next series. And so I really just started reading about those type of things, the Mm -hmm. fragments of our life, reading authors that talk about who who are we created to be, who does the world say that we are, um, how does our family, the nature of our family, define who we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to be and thinking through all these things but also posing the question to myself and other artists and other filmmakers um, when I leave a room and my work is hanging I'm no longer there to tell the story how does my voice speak when I'm no longer there so the challenge for an artist is to create a piece that has this truth or this voice in the work that still speaks when I can't be here sitting with you and telling you what's happening behind the piece. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of challenged myself with, mm-hmm. how the hell do I do that? Mm-hmm. Because I want people to walk away from my work and ask deep questions, right. remember right. deep things, think about what they saw and how that impacted them in that moment. And I can't mm-hmm. just do that if I'm just doing one piece and throwing color and, yeah. and style up. And so I started writing on a trip. Um, working on a film I've been working on and I just it's like what am I going to do for my next series so I started having a conversation with myself and so I was like I started having a conversation with myself and then I said what if I was telling this to a group of people who are today's people Mm. who don't pay attention to anything when they're all in a room together Mm. anywhere you go concert Mm -hmm. speech poetry reading movie in a theater More than half the people are on their phones. Yeah. More than half the people are worried about what's happening when they get out. Yeah. They're not present in the moment. Yeah. They're videoing. They're taking pictures. They're not mm-hmm. truly interacting with mm-hmm. the art, with yeah. the performance, with whatever. And so I started writing myself talking to an audience. Interesting. And so it's just, so every title for each piece that I'm doing in the series is a sentence or a short paragraph of me talking to the audience. So it's from you. From me. So so this is a cool segue into like true self, false self. Mm-hmm. So the conversation with myself mm-hmm. isn't so much, maybe it started as, as a conversation you were maybe having with the true self, the essential self, sure. the centered self. I, that'd be my mm-hmm. take on it. But you're, you flipped it through this, this body of work as an offering to the world. Yeah, and I think it's very sarcastic as well. Oh, right on. Um, And so, (laughs) here, let me grab my questions off the wall. Yeah. I'll read a few of the titles just as an example. Yeah. Um, So, the very first piece, which is over here on the wall on the left, says, it started somewhere in California 42 years ago. Ask my parents, he whispered loudly or quietly. And then piece number two, I am shaping and forming something. So please do me a favor and quiet down and just listen. That's all I need, a little quiet. And then piece number three, can you make a little noise so that I can tell? He speaks at a louder level than before. 
piece number four, is any of this beginning to make sense? And then number five, this isn't just all thrown together. I think there is purpose, he says sarcastically. So each piece moves down this dialogue that the artist is having with a crowd mm-hmm. and nobody's really paying attention. Mm-hmm. So inside, he's also having the conversation with himself and being sarcastic in the response as the audience isn't wow. listening. And I think I was thinking through, I, I feel like I have these deep things to share, totally. right? To offer people. Um, experiencing sexual abuse as a child Mm. to working with orphans in post-genocide Rwanda Mm. to working with communities in need in boys' homes. And I have these experiences that I feel like have formed me Mm. that a lot of people in our society today have dealt with and they hide from Mm. because it's embarrassing, it's ugly, it's scary to talk about. And so I want to have this conversation with this audience and allow them to have a voice and know that they do have a voice and they can be inspiring and they can be who they're supposed to be. You're not alone. You're not alone. Amidst these things, other people are sharing in this with you, but nobody's paying attention and I'm getting frustrated. Wow. Wow. So a friend of mine, Chris Hewitts, who wrote a killer, you know, his latest books on the Enneagram. He talks about ex- excavating our essence. Mm-hmm. When you hear excavating essence, where does that where does that sit? That's that's absolutely it. I yeah. think that's the conversation I've been having with myself over the last year. Yeah. How how can I how can I push that essence out? And so, with your previous work of, do we arrive whole mm-hmm. and become fragmented? Do we do we arrive fragmented and, and become whole? Um, is it both or, or would you say or can you go we arrive whole no fragmentation yeah. happens getting becoming collected and together again is our great work or I, sh- I don't even want to answer it yeah I, I mean I think where I am today is I think it's it's neither it's neither it's neither and or both <laughs> I think it is <laughs> I think that you're always fragmented from the beginning to the end and depending on how those fragments work together Mm -hmm. they can they can lead you to becoming more whole Mm -hmm. um and and fragments isn't all bad and by by whole would you use healthy true i would say true true. i would say healthy and true i wouldn't say you know perfect or completely put together but i would say yeah (laughs) i would say true um and i think the thing is, was with those fragments, uh, they're, they're fragments of joy and fragments of happiness and wonder, and they're fragments of brokenness and loss. Hmm. And I think those all play in together. And when you realize those things all work together, all of those things can be brought together to become more true. Right on. So your hope for this conversation with yourself... Um, can you put your thumb on that? I mean, are, are you are you want? There sounds to be a tone of giving voice to people that maybe haven't been sure. given voice. Um, I always think like a great artist can give a tone of it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Um, you can do this. Uh, mm. What would you? How would you phrase that? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. The uh, uh, 
few months ago, I was showing the first six pieces at Austin, uh, at the East Side Austin, East Side Artist Festival in Austin. And uh, we, I had set up all the pieces um, and this girl walks in the room in the gallery and she, I guess she's one of the employees at the, at the building where we were showing. And she walks in and she walks around the piece, she just stops. And she just looks at me in tears and she says, is this your work? I said, yes, it is. And she goes, well, I don't know what it, what it is about your work, but I had to stop and there's something in me that is just eating me up. Mm. And there's a spiritual vibe that is just hit. And she's bawling her eyes out. I don't know this girl from anybody. So then I start to explain to her what this piece is and tears are just streaming and she just says, thank you for sharing that. And I didn't even know what this meant, but I felt it when I walked by. Well, so that to me, I, had, I didn't expect that to ever happen. Like yeah. I think that's an artist's hope yeah, yeah, yeah. that that would happen. And that same- It's like a mirror. The next morning, one of the other artists that was showing there um, in one of the other rooms, we had a great time getting to know each other. I'd never met her before. She and her best friend were there after hours. And they started reading the titles. And they both have a theater background. Hmm. And so they thought, this reads like a story. Right. So they started reading like they were in theater together. And they were switching the titles all around. And she said it made sense every way. And that's what my hope is. Wow. Because for them to play with that but yet to understand this this duality of sarcastic yet serious um, that's my hope is that when people go look at the work they interact with it that way because that doesn't happen that often you walk into a gallery you look at the work and you leave but to bring an interaction I think that deepens the level of what the voice may be saying I don't know if that answers the question no it does and I love how you say after you make this and it's on someone's wall you're not in the room Ever. You know, ever. Um, so how long will you sit with one of these pieces? I mean, will they... Do, do, do you know? You know when it's done? No. I don't, I don't think I ever really know when it's done. I do, I do have a group of peers, um, artists, friends of mine, that I'll send... will send pictures back okay. and forth, and they'll say, don't touch it. Yeah. Or they'll say, you need to do something. There's something hmm. missing. Um, I get close to, I think, it's being done, but I, I learned a long time ago that you just have to pick a point and be done yeah or I just ruin it yeah. in the end and have to paint something else over it yeah so you've commissioned work I think, yeah for some uh-huh. people uh, um, for for people that maybe want to see what you're doing I mean I know you're online I love how you document what you do online mm-hmm. it's super cool um, is there is there a place where they can go to see some work or how do people kind of learn about you? And- yeah, so I would say the first thing would go to my website because okay. that's where my bio is. And I, I have all, like you said, I document every piece that I paint and I create yeah. little videos of each piece to show and share the process. Um, I'm represented in New York and San Francisco okay. by a group called Nava Contemporary, NAVA. Um, wonderful ladies um, in New York and San Francisco. And... Right now, that's about it. I do have work on sachiart.com. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best way to find me on Instagram or go to my website. Wow. It's amazing stuff. 
Um, are some of these pieces available for sale? Yeah, er- everything's available. Everything. For yeah, sale. the artist. It's always. Yeah. always that, that's for the sale. hard part when you're working <laughs> on a body of work too. And yeah. this this body has 18 pieces total. Okay. Um, I'm six pieces in. I have four on the wall that I'm just diving into. The next four. Um, so if a piece sold from that, yeah. you know what I mean. It's right. always like you're gonna sell it because right. you you know need to make a living. Yeah. Um, but that is always the hard part too. Yeah. Is when you're creating a body of work, if one sells, then one's taken out of that. So cool. But, um, and your this this jacket here is amazing. You wore it to my house when we yeah. Met. That's my studio <laughs> jacket. I have I've had that for I don't know how many years now. So that's what I paint in. Really, every yep. all yep. the time it goes on. Yep. Is it like the uh, the ritual of when that thing's Absolutely. on? It's, it's game on. It's game on. Yeah, walk and it's that separation too of regular life and work. Yeah, and craft. Right. So put the jacket on. It's time to go to work. Right. I yeah. love that. Um, now documentary. Uh-huh. So this isn't just all there no. is to, to right. Ty Clark. Um, and I don't want to give it all away, but I'm also a little bit kind of in, in the dark on what this project yeah. has been. So you've, there's a documentary basketball's involved. Uh-huh. Where do we begin? Yeah, I had a, I mean, obviously basketball has been a big part of my past. Um, I have a friend in Austin who was working on a documentary on the man who started who created the jump shot in basketball okay. in the late thirties. And we, we so there's a guy yeah, that created the jump shot. There's a guy that created the jump <laughs> shot. It wasn't always there. <laughs> and we just started talking and I was helping him with, you know, just ideas and things for the film. Cause he's not a basketball guy and that's my background. And we finally got together one day and I said, I'd love to be a consultant and help with basketball stuff, bring mm-hmm. my network and people I know to the film. He said, I've been waiting for you to ask, let's do this. Well, that role has turned more in now into a co-producer. Um, I've helped him with numerous, numerous things. It's just been a fantastic partnership together. And and we recently, through another one of our uh, producers, who's one of my favorite people in Austin now, she's a talented producer, uh, just a wonderful person. She helped bring some major NBA stars to the film. Wow. Um, and one of those, Steph Curry, is now an executive producer with us on the film. Really? Um, Kate, Kevin Durant has been a, a big part of the film and um, I mean we have the who's who of the history of basketball yeah. that are still alive those are the two who's at the moment those are the two who's <laughs> at the moment yes um, but other uh, basketball announcers and sports broadcasters we've lost a few in the last two years huh. um, we lost the character of our film Kenny Sailors um, a year and a half ago we lost Kenny. He was 95. And he's a jump shot guy. The jump shot guy. Um, so Jake got to spend seven years with him at the end of his life telling a story. And we are, we're finished with the film. Wow. Um, we signed uh, the best distributors in the documentary world, Submarine Entertainment. And uh, they've represented five of the last eight uh, Academy Award winning films. Wow. Um, you would know the films that they've represented. And we're hoping for Tribeca. Or mm. South by to premiere, and so that's it's soon. Soon, yes. Um, so this thing's ready to go. It's ready to go. We're Does it finished. have a name? Are we allowed to say a name? Yeah, it's. It, it'll be. We don't know the full title yet, but yep. it'll. It'll be Jump Shot: The Kenny Sailor Story. Somewhere the original Jump Man. Yep, the original <laughs> guy. When basketball was grounded, he was he was jumping and shooting like Steph. Wow. Um, so it's it's been exciting. Um, I've always wanted to venture into film, hmm. um, and especially in a film that tells really good stories of inspiration. Um, and so Jacob Hamilton and I, the director whose story it is, we, uh, 
we're already discussing future Something projects else. and films um, to do together down the road. So, so has that has that triggered another something in you, um, or I, did you always know it was there? I mean, I've always loved film. Okay. Um, I think it's just me as a creator and an artist. Yeah. I just I love music is a massive part of me creating. Yeah. Um, film is a massive part of me creating. I have my guys, you know, right. in film, old and new. Um, I, I just love people that create beautiful work. Yeah. Whether that's sound, whether that's vision on a screen or on canvas, there's just something to me about beautiful work, whether it's dark mm -hmm. and beautiful, whether it's bright and beautiful. I think I, a lot of times, lean more to the dark side mm. for some reason of, of that beauty. Mm. I think it's so much of the inner depths of humanity yeah. um, when people are crying out in that. Um, oh. And so I think I'm just, it's just a natural progression. Hmm. What, what truth have you discovered? And I love how you said out on the limb, you know, you, you, you took the leap. Mm -hmm. um, what do you know now that you didn't know before this? This is, this is vulnerability to me. Uh -huh. You know, this is very, um, this is exposing, uh, you know, so we, we don't all truly get to put a work of art out into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we do, but we may not define it that way. Right. But what do you know on, on this side of the equation that you didn't maybe in basketball yeah, or China? Sure. I think I've learned that I've learned the lesson of responsibility. I think that I think that I have a responsibility. <clears throat> as an artist, as somebody given this ability to create in ways that others can't or yeah. don't, not that that's anything more special sure. than what anybody else creates or does. I just think I've been given a different talent. Yeah. And I think I've learned that my responsibility within that is far greater than I ever imagined. Well, um, I think neglecting it is the false narrative of myself and I think owning that responsibility is moving towards the true self and I think I've learned that I need to work on my craft I need to spend time on my craft I need to study my craft I need to gain knowledge and wisdom in my craft I need to fail in my craft yeah, I need totally. to be successful in my craft and I think <clears throat> all of that wrapped into being true with yeah. the voice in my craft is, yeah. the, is the responsibility gathers all of those things and that is the responsibility of the artist. Hmm. And I think before it was, I just want to create something I can sell, I can make money doing. Now that's flipped completely. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the voice of the true self, um, as you, as you hang out in this room, as you put on the coat each day, mm -hmm. um, are there days when you can hear it better than others? <laughs> or, oh, is, or, or is it is it each day? No. Um, yeah. There there are days you can hear it better than the others. Yeah. And there are days I don't want to come out and paint. Yeah. And so I don't. Yeah. And then usually that next day I'm pretty upset with myself right. that I didn't go paint yesterday. Yeah. Or I didn't, you know, and I think that's, but I think that's growth yeah. towards that true yeah. self is realizing yeah. um, that when that sets in on, Man, did I really just waste that moment? Yeah. Why did I do that? Well, something else was telling me, yeah. you know, that I probably should just do this instead. Yeah. Um, I think that's all growing. That's just growth and learning as a human being. Um, and I think 
you know, I'm always searching for those thin places, mm. um, as the old uh, Celtics used to mm-hmm. search for those thin places where the divine and right. this world meet, yep. and yep. you're welcomed into the spirit yeah. and that trueness. Um, and there are days I find that in the studio. Yeah. Usually, it's in Africa or it's in, mm. you know, China or other places where I, you know, mm. or I'm out hiking somewhere or on a trip, Patagonia, who knows, and right. hit that moment where yeah. all of a sudden the divine hits now, and it's you're on. just in. And I, there are moments that happens for me in a studio, yeah. and I try to search for those and find mm-hmm. those, um, which is hard to do. Have, have you found that cultivating and curating the, the stillness, the silence, the or whatever your rhythms are, music, that the more that happens, the more you can kind of romance that? Uh, oh, absolutely. That, you know, I feel, I, I feel like once you learn the rhythm, the ahas show up more often. You mm-hmm. gotta, but you gotta show gotta up. Gotta show up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those moments when I'm engaged fully, yeah, they show up. Yeah, and the moments where I'm not, where there's distractions, where there's other things that are, you know, flying at me, and I'm not able to disappear from those things, mm-hmm. then I'm not fully engaged and don't show up. Do you have a practice to? Yeah. D- distraction minimization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to get up and read. Okay. Um, in our in our house, we created a, a reading room okay. um, where we have a small library and two chairs where we're supposed to read every morning right. together. My wife and I, Mandy, um, and sometimes it's just her, sometimes just me. Like last week, I only read two days, and I feel like the other three days I was not engaged. Well, um, and I think for me, that's just a moment of silence in the morning where. I can get up, I grab a cup of coffee, I sit in my chair, a number of books that I'm going through right now, and sometimes I'll just sit and be silent, Yeah. drink my coffee, yep. just sit in the silence uh, and meditate. And other days I'll read for 30 minutes to an hour or 10 minutes. Um, but I think that focus usually helps mm-hmm. my core be engaged yeah. um, to truly show up when I enter the studio. That's interesting. I've... In the last six-month run that I've had of really trying to carve out true stillness, contemplative, meditate, whatever words you want to use, mm-hmm. um, if, if, if you don't have that moment to disengage from those overly excessive thoughts, name them, point at them, separate from them, mm-hmm. they'll stay with you all day. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and I think... Uh, when I talk to people about the 20 minute sit or whatever, you know, whatever, it doesn't even need to be numerically defined, giving yourself that space to, for me, what I can say is I am not my thoughts. Right. Right. I'm not my thoughts. I'm separating from that. Who am I at this divine soul level? And from there at get that, who am I question? Right. And if I've got that right, the paint, the work, the conversations, it, it all stems in a more beautiful way. It seems. Yeah, and the, the hard part with this particular series is I'm painting about myself. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, that, that creates a tumultuous atmosphere at times yeah. because if I'm, as this series works through different periods of my life to, yeah. from birth to today, I have to disappear into those moments to mm. give that moment a voice. Interesting. And some of those moments aren't pretty. Some wow. of those moments are ugly and, you know, were destructive in my life and so to keep centered in those moments Mm -hmm. and not bring those past pains or hurts so much to the service that they distract everything else that 
is helping me be engaged today. Right. Um, well, it's a it's a difficult practice. That is well. So, what advice would you give to your younger self? Golly, my younger self was a mess. Um, but I never wanted to go back and redo it. Huh. I think because those fragments built me to who mm. I am today in a way that I could never be without them. Mm. Um, I guess the advice I would give my past self would be just to pay attention more. Pay attention. Pay attention more because I always felt like everything was just about me mm. for a long time. And I think if I would have paid attention... A little bit more some of those people I had around me at that time would have fed greatly into the narrative of where I am today well well beautiful so um, Ty Nathan Clark Instagram website where's the best place so what what's the web address uh, Ty Nathan there you go and then Instagram is at Samo for Prez S-A-M-O number four P-R-E-Z P-R-E-Z um, it's amazing. Well, uh, thank you for your generosity. Absolutely. And your time. Can we can we have a two point sometime? Yeah, definitely. Come, come back. Yeah. Uh, once the once the series is over, see if I made it through. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> want to come back and uh, maybe maybe break that down and process it with yeah, you. See absolutely. what you found out on the other side. Sounds great. Okay, man. Cheers. Hey everybody, a couple things before we go. Number one, if you have enjoyed these conversations, would you please run over uh, to iTunes and leave us a little quick review? One of the ways we get to spread the information uh, and stuff that we're sharing here at Good, True, and Beautiful uh, is by people leaving a review. So if you've enjoyed your time here, please go there, drop us a note. We'd be super grateful. Next, if you think someone would make a great interview at Good, True, and Beautiful, I would love to know about it. You can email me directly, ashton at ashtongustafson.com. And if they're a writer, thought leader, uh, leading a beautiful life, living a great story, anything that's good, true, beautiful, I want to know these people. One of my favorite things that's happened here is you guys have shared people with me uh, to go out and reach. And it's just been unbelievable to um, connect stories together uh, and really bring back to the table uh, wonderful stories that people are living. So please send them my way. I would love to connect with them. And lastly, as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be loved.